I think he was bitter to the fact that he, he was in a bad situation financially. I think he was uh, jealous and envious of the success that James had. And I think all that over a couple of two or three years while he's struggling, you know, I mean, I had 20 years to think about that. And I was like, man, I think all that just compounded on him and he just went over there and just had enough and, and, and shot the guy, man. goes to court and trial, I have one shot and one opportunity to be not guilty or I go to prison in death row. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of it. We have busted alibis. We have caught people in lies. This is we, just insane because everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. You just don't hear every day walking in somebody's house, they're going to take the plastic out and pop somebody. So he could get the execution date pretty much any day? Yeah. There's no impediment. This is Cousins by Blood. Episode 22, Carlos and Anthony, Part 2. If you're listening to this and have not already listened to Carlos and Anthony, Part 1, please stop this and listen to that first. There will be no recap of that episode. We're continuing where we left off. Now, it came out at trial, and I've heard other people speak about it, but was James dealing drugs? Not to my knowledge, though. I've heard it, too. I just, even the people that I've heard it from, you know, who said that? You know, they're like, that's what they said. Well, who is they? And Sylvia told me, well, you know he was dealing drugs, and I told her. She called me for the first time. I hadn't spoken to her in almost 20 years. Not talked to her two weeks ago, which I thought was very alarming. You know, I, I know there was, a, there was a motive for her to call me after 20 years, so there's something to it. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I was like, she said that he was dealing drugs. And I said, man, you know, did you personally exchange drugs for money or money for drugs with him? Of course, the answer was no. I'm like, well, you know, you're not in a position to say that. It's all hearsay. He doesn't have a criminal record. No. Not under investigation by any any narcotics officer or FBI or what did they call DEA. So, I mean, I don't know, you know. However, at trial, Ivan's attorney asked the lead detective this. Based on the totality of your investigation, including the crime scene, your interviews with family and friends and suspects and other police officers, have you pretty much formed the conclusion that Mr. Mosqueda was a drug dealer? To which the lead homicide detective replied, quote, yes, sir, unquote. Anthony did not testify at Ivan's trial on the matter, and you'll remember Anthony was in jail at the same time as Ivan in November of 2000. Ivan brought that up in the jailhouse tapes. I'm uncertain if he was still incarcerated at the time of the trial or not. He never sold any drugs for me or anything like that, you know. And he, James don't even smoke weed or anything. You know, I, I was a smoker from back in the day, and James doesn't do drugs. He's very athletic, a boxer. Um, I mean, everything, you know what I mean? So. You know, just like I told him on trial, no, I have no evidence of James being a drug dealer. Carlos did testify, and the prosecutor seemed to have fun with it. This is part of Carlos's testimony being read by actors. And I think you'd agree with me that it's fair to say that there are a whole lot of names that keep surfacing on this. So maybe we can understand the players. Maybe we can get a cast of characters. 
Could you help me with a little interactive exercise? Sure. And kind of my idea, and you may not know all of these people, but certainly some of them you can help me with. We call this exercise Name the Doper. You call it the what? Name the Doper. Oh, okay. Do you know the defendant in this case, James Mosqueda? Yes, ma'am. Well, we'll call him James. Would it be fair to characterize some of his activities as involving illegal substances or drugs? Could he fairly be considered, at least in some of his activities, to be a doper? A doper? Like he does dope? Or what do you mean? Let's start with selling dope. Let's deal with that. Is that a fair statement? I mean, I used to know James to sell dope. Yes, ma'am. So, he's a dealer. And you don't know if he's a user, according to you. Is that right? Is that fair? I thought he was a mortgage broker. Okay. You know somebody by the name of Anthony Fonseca? Oh, very well. Is it fair to say he's a doper? Yeah, you could say that. And by being a doper, I guess that means both a user and a dealer. Is that fair? You could say that's fair. All right, he's a doper. How about Chris Head? Do you know that name? Yes. Where do you know Chris from? From Pleasant Grove. Would it be fair to his character to call him a doper? Oh, yeah, a doper, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Now, he's got a brother that goes by Buck, doesn't he? Yeah. Buck, yeah. Where do you know Buck from? From Chris Head. Which one is the older brother? Chris is. What? Does Buck have a real name, or is that just a nickname? He's Jason Head. He's Jason Buckhead. I wouldn't be doing a discourtesy to suggest he's a doper now, would I? I've known him doing dope. Yeah, you can call him a doper. All right. Does he use two? Because according to you, you are not a true doper unless you use and deal, right? So he does both. No, he's a... A doper is a guy that does drugs, and a dealer is a guy that sells drugs. Okay. Well then, I misunderstood your distinctions. Well, I can just tell you we all used to deal dope. So you could probably put my name up there, too. All right. Let's take a break from that for a moment. James, did he ever try to get Ivan Cantu into the mortgage business? I wouldn't say get him into the mortgage business. I'd say to come work for him so he can make some money. By the way, is this a legitimate business or is it some kind of underworld thing or something that's to hide money? Is it a legitimate business? Oh, yes, ma'am. So, in your judgment... James has a legitimate job where he would broker mortgages for people trying to buy houses. Oh, yes, ma'am. And that's what you were being offered. It was a real-life job. Yes, ma'am. That law-abiding people actually participate in. Yes, ma'am. Is that right? How successful was James? At the mortgage business? Uh Uh-huh. Very successful. I probably shouldn't assume, so I won't. But did you ever see, like, his financial records, or would you make impressions just from what you observed? Yeah, he would show me things. He would be proud of making maybe close to 20 loans that month. Yeah, he would show me. Did you ever see anything like checks or check stubs? Oh, yeah. Any figures kind of stick in your mind, something big and impressive? 27000 a month bring home. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Now talk is cheap. Did you actually see documentary evidence? I mean, he would show me checks of this is what he made, 
and this is how much they grossed, and this is how well they are doing, and this is why I should come work for him. I guess my real question is, even if we assume that James was a dope dealer at the time of his death, he still had a significant legitimate income stream also that could have supported his lifestyle. Yes. Yes, ma'am. I spoke with Ray Sanchez, James' right-hand man in the mortgage business. He denied any knowledge of James' drug business, but he did confirm in the time leading up to the murders, James' mortgage business was very lucrative. And again, why James' drug business is a crucial element of this case is because if James was a major drug dealer that dealt in large quantities, then that could provide motive for someone else killing James. So we need to determine what is really true and what is not about the quantity of drugs James was dealing. Well, this is what the wife of another one of James' friends remembers. Her name is Melissa, and her husband's name is Monty. And he met James through... Monty got on at a company called Westcott Communications, and James and Ivan were already working there. And that's how James and Monty became so close. And then since then, they've been pretty tight? James and Monty were tight until the very end. I could never understand why Monty's phone wasn't seized. And um, I, couldn't understand why, I couldn't understand why Monty was never questioned. Because if they had taken James's phone, Monty's phone number would have been on there more than probably anybody's. Did you see drugs um, in James and Amy's house that they were living in at the time of the murders? Yes. And where were, yes. where was the drugs? I don't know if it was considered to be, I couldn't really tell, and I wasn't really trying to act like I was being nosy and just like look, you know, and be, it was, it could have been like a laundry room or it could have been a closet. It's been so long, like I really can't remember. I just looked at it and saw it and I knew what it was immediately, but I don't really know what room it was in. I, I don't believe it was in a bedroom. I think it was in more of like a, like a closet, like a walk-in closet. But um, that was no little nickel and dime operation. You know, burlap bags full of marijuana, you know, big, big, big bulks of marijuana. I don't really know that much about how much money you could get from a burlap bag of marijuana, but there were multiple bags of that. How, how big of yeah. uh, burlap bags are we talking? Like one I could get in. I'm five feet tall, probably three and a half, four feet tall, you know, um, two feet across, you know, like just a burlap bag that, that feed or something would come in, you know, the size of a feed bag. Damn. So I couldn't understand why the police didn't find that when they um, searched Ivan, when they searched James's house. Like, where did that go? Just always was wondering, like, who, who got that out of the house? Like, where did that go? Right. Where did that go? So it would seem that even though James was making good money through his mortgage company, he was also moving serious weight through his drug business. It has been speculated that he was laundering the drug money through the mortgage business, though I've never seen any evidence of that. Although the lead homicide detective testified that James' home computer was confiscated, and, quote, analyzed by a computer analysis team at trial when Ivan's lawyer asked, Did you employ, say, financial experts or forensic financial folks to explore the legitimacy or lack thereof of these mortgage deals that Mosqueda was involved in? 
To which Detective Wynn responded, You mean hire someone? Is that what you're asking me? Or, I'll bet in a department as big as Dallas, you've got economic crimes detectives or analysts, you know? People that go through books and look at a standard of living and, you know, for example, I mean, if somebody is declaring so much income but they got new Corvettes and new Mercedes and big houses and boats, and you know how narcotics officers and folks in the law enforcement will get a profile of a person to verify whether they are claiming on their 1040 is legit and where other money may be coming from. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you do any of that in this case? To which Detective Wynn responded, simply, no. And there's nothing in the case file about the police confiscating anything, computers or files from James' mortgage office. And no report of the police ever stepping foot into James' mortgage office. Which is very interesting, because... After James got murdered, Monty had me go up to the mortgage company. Monty had a key to it because he was going to eventually quit his job and just do loans with James. And so after the murders, Monty had me go up there with him. But how long after the murders was that? Seems like it was like a couple days. I can't really be for sure. It actually might have been the day after the murders. You know, Monty really wanted his stuff out of there ASAP. Monty had me go up there with him to the office, and the office was in disarray. Like a lot of the file cabinets were pulled out. Papers were strewn around, and Monty was just trying to get everything with his name on it, you know, out of there. It was not a night niece office. Like, I know James would not, never have left for the day with his office looking like that. Someone had been in there shuffling, you know, going through things, because papers were all over the floor, doors were pulled out, files were thrown around. You know, it was just disheveled. So just like the mystery of what happened to the drugs and cash at James' house, what happened to the files in James' office? What were they looking for, and what did they need to get out of there? Did the same person or persons hit both places? As of now, I don't know, but let's get back to Carlos and Anthony. How often were you guys talking to James leading up to the murders? Every day, once a week? I I can tell you, I I can start from the the day the bodies were found to the day before I talked to him. So I had spoken with him Friday morning, November, I guess that would be November 3rd. I had spoken to him Friday morning, and I had spoken to him Thursday evening, and then I'm sure a couple times that week. So yeah, I'd say... Uh, at that time, he he lived really close to where I lived at. So, and then we used to work together at the mortgage office. So we'd hang out, you know, go eat dinner, hang out and talk. You know, our relationship was based on you know communication all the time. When you find out James got murdered, uh-huh. what are you guys thinking? Do you have any thoughts of who might have done this and what could have happened? No, not at all. No, I mean, not a not a single inclination of who. Really, you're just asking why and who, you know, but I didn't know the, the details just that they were found shot shot to death, you know. And um, I found that out on Sunday night when I got back from uh, from uh, the hunting trip. And um, when I found that out, uh, I think later on that night, you seen there was another little story on the news. I caught a glimpse of it late at night. But I mean, no, I mean, to my knowledge, he didn't have any enemies. Nobody that he owed money to that I knew of, personally speaking, you know. 
you know, he had tons of credit cards, man, and he took care of all his business with high credit limits. So he knew how to work the system. So I couldn't think of him owing any money. So, or anybody that hated him enough to go kill him. But as it, as it unraveled and you hear more information and then I'm his name got implemented. But to remind you back to answer your question, when I first heard about it was, man, we had him on the speakerphone. I did get a phone call from Ivan when Ivan and the Amy girl were in route to Arkansas. You follow me? And I'm like, did you not hear about James and this and this and this and this? And he's like, yeah, I just heard about it. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. He goes, but you know, I, I ain't coming back. I ain't coming back here. I'm, you know, I'm with my, I'm with my new fiance and I'm going to go meet her parents and this and this and this. And, you know, I'm not turning around for all that. And we're like, what the fuck did you just say? And we thought that was super strange. And then, then he called me back. I was I was in Waco. I was at my grandmother's house, actually. And I headed down to our river cabin. And then I guess he had got the number. I had called him from my grandma's house. So he ended up calling he ended up calling my grandmother's house back. Because I don't even know if I had a cell phone at the time. I don't even remember. I just remember my grandma answering the phone. And she was like, hey, man, this guy just called me. He's just rattling on 100 miles an hour. I'm like, man, it's Ivan. He's on that shit. You know? So she's like, man, I can barely even understand this guy. She goes, who is this guy? I was like, man, he's a friend of a friend. And supposedly his cousin just got murdered and him and his girlfriend are on the way to Arkansas. And, and you know, and she's just like, you know, my grandma, 80-something years old, she's, you know, freaking her out a little bit. And I was like, well, let me call him back. She goes, yeah, he was out of his mind. I couldn't even understand him, what he was even talking about. Because he was talking so fast, well, I already knew he was on that shit. You know what I mean? So finally I got in touch with Ivan, and that's when he told me again that he wasn't coming back. And we're telling him, hey, man, James was found dead and Amy found dead. You know, you know, the family needs you because he's his blood cousin. And, uh, man, I just remember distinctively him just telling us that, you know, it's not his problem. You know, he's got other things he's doing right now. And probably whatever happened to James, he had it coming. And it was always, it's always strike me funny that he would say that. So anyways, and then, and then he calls and gives me this full-blown story, and I couldn't tell you word for word. I can just tell you parts of that I remember uh, about some pizza delivery guys showing up at his house with this with this list of people he's going to start killing. And if not, because he, he, James owed so much money, and he shot a, a bullet off in the deal to give him warning and and this and this and this, and I'm like, what the hell? I'm looking at Anthony, and I'm like, Dude, this this is not sounding good, what he's saying here. He went on and on his little stories, and then and then he said, all right, let me tell you what's going on. There's, you know, I got a, I got a guy who says James owes a lot of money. This dude uh, was looking to collect either two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand dollars that James owed money. And this guy was basically a collector. And he knocked on his door, dressed up. He was a Domino's pizza delivery guy that looked like John Travolta. And came, Ivan said he opened the door. The guy come in his home, brandished a, a pistol, and showed him a list that he had a list of 25 people that were going to be executed. And James was number one. And I was either number two or number three in the list. And I was like, why not? hell am I on the fucking list? And he's like, this is what this guy said. And he was just going through this story. And as he continued with this story, so I'm thinking, okay, well, he, you know something. 
You know a hell of a lot more than anybody does, so why don't you bring that information, come to Dallas, and tell these detectives what you know, and maybe y'all can figure it out, man. And he just said he, he wasn't coming down there. He said he was in Arkansas with his new girlfriend, meeting her parents, and he was going to enjoy his time with us. Hmm. That just didn't make a lot of sense, man. As he, as as we begin to ask him questions and he begins to talk more, you kind of have this eerie feeling that this is the one. He's the one. You know too much information, and you're not wanting to come forth and help. So that's what led us to believe at that very moment that he had some kind of responsibility for it. And then the detectives come over to Carlos's house to speak to me, the homicide detectives. And when we told them we just got the phone with Ivan, they asked us, can we get him back on the phone? Did the detective call you uh, about Ivan, or did you call the detective? How did the detective wind up coming over to your house, I guess? Man, I don't, I don't know if he called. He had to call me. I don't really remember, man. To be honest with you, I just don't really remember. I just remember I talked to him a, a, a couple of times and to give them whatever information they asked for. And then uh, they said, hey, do you, can you get in touch with Ivan? I'm like, well, yeah, I can call him, you know? And, and uh, then I told him the story that he had gave me in Waco. And they're like, can you get in to tell you that story again? I'm like, well, yeah. And they were like, we're coming over. I'm like, well, come on. So we got him back on the phone. Both detectives were there. It was a detective win, the, the black officer or the black detective, and then there was a Hispanic detective. So they were in that office when that speaker phone, that speaker was on, and we had Ivan, he didn't know the detectives were there, but we had Ivan recant that whole story all over again. And he and did. Man, all he did, yeah, he wasn't holding back nothing. Was he mixing around the facts of the story and was it, you know, coming out all? Well, I mean, there were, there were his facts, you know? It's his story, man. He's an he's he's always anybody that knows him or got to know him after a while. You kind of figure out he's a sensational storyteller. He's enthusiastic, sensational storyteller. He's a great salesperson, um, and it just sounded like one of these uh, another goddess of story. You know, like he he has some elaborate stories, man. I said, this is this is some make believe made up story because Ivan could really make up some good stories. You know what I mean? I mean, oh, he, really? could sell you, he could sell you the fucking dream, man. If that house was 500 square foot, at the end of your conversation, you thought that house was 5,000 square foot with three executive master bedrooms, he could sell you. He was, he, that was part of his talent. You know what I mean? He was a talker. He, I mean, he could sell you the dream. And um, he's just giving me full my story and I'm just looking at Aunt, and I'm like, Anthony, why would any hitman or whatever the fuck he's calling this bill, why would he come over to the cousin's house that's all linked up on dope that ain't got nothing to do with nothing? You know what I mean? If you're really looking at this guy, you'll know this guy has nothing. To why would or why wouldn't you just go straight across the street and deal with the source? Why is somebody going to go through all those loose? Why wouldn't you just go straight over to Amy's and James's house that was five minutes away? And the story was so... It was just one of his stories. I mean, if you know Ivan, the short time, a couple of years that I've known him, you would be like, damn, here goes one of his stories. You know what I mean? They're elaborate. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. And, they're, and the regular person is because they're convincing. You know what I mean? And when he told me that story, it just, it just, it just, the story got bigger and bigger. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, man, this guy did it, man. Oh my God. 
he, you know, he had a way to bullshit people, man. So, you know, when, when I hear all these stories, I also know Ivan on a, on, a, on a different level, you know? And I know he's got the capability to tell you a sensational story that is just believable. There's a knock on the door, and I briefly look out, and I see that there's a, a, a gentleman standing there. I can tell that he was holding a pizza box and wearing a, a, a Domino's uh, pizza shirt. When I answer the door, he comes bum rushing in and puts, you know, forces me on my knees and puts a gun to my head. And unfortunately, because I know that, it's hard for me to cross that out and consider what he's saying, and could it be true? Man, it's just, you know, when I hear Sylvia say what she had to say, and I hear you saying, you know, touching up on a few highlights here, I mean, I hear it, but I'm also thinking in the back of my head, man, is this the way, you know, is this what he's going off of? And with all he needs is a little bit, and he can make a truly sensational story from the ground up. He's roughly about uh, six feet tall, kind of, uh, he's a Hispanic looking guy, but he kind of also looks white. And his hair's kind of pulled back in a ponytail and he's wearing dark black rim glasses. My, my first response was, you know, who, who the hell are you? And the, the, that's when he tells me that James owes a lot of money and that he's, that, um, that 50,000 has been paid. He still owes 250. And am I, am I coming back to James's mortgage company to help him close loans? I mean, even when you know it's not right, it's believable, you know, it's like, wow. If there's any truth to what he's saying and he's the wrong man that's behind bars, then, you know, Godspeed, you know, to help him get out of there. However, you don't know him other than a client, you know, and you talk, maybe you've seen him in person and talked to him through the glass. I don't know. And... You know, he, he, you know, man, he's a good talker, man. And I'm not trying to make him sound like to be the bad guy. Just know who you're up against because he's incarcerated and he's trying to get out and paint a different picture. But if he was out in the, here in the world and you tell him, hey, tell me about that trip you went on to Jamaica. Oh, my God, man. You, you'd think you were hanging out with James Bond or somebody, you know. You're going to hear a, a sensational story, you know, with more characters involved. People that weren't even there, he'll, he'll throw in characters and the Rastafari man, and, you know, I, I met this guy, and, I, man, you know, I shook hands with Bob Marley's nephew, and it'll really get you, you know, but for the for the unsuspecting person, you know, who does not know him, when you hear this story for the first time with such conviction, it's the gospel, it's the truth. Yeah. Elaborate. I mean, but for anybody, elaborate or not, as you can be as vague as you want or as detailed as you want, if you know that kind of information to any degree, you should be you should be the prime person who comes up and helps law enforcement to help solve this case, to, you know, in some capacity. We just didn't understand that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I know it's been 20 years, man, and when I spoke to her, she's pretty set that her son is innocent. He was framed, and you know, but there's just too many variables you just can't explain. You know, it's like, man, I hear what you're saying, but gosh, damn. You know, man, I don't care how much lipstick you put on the pig. It's still, still a freaking pig, man. You know, and maybe I don't have all the facts. I don't know, but for the facts that are presented, you know, you know, all the roads point one way, man. You know, after the trial, that you know, you started learning they found the gun over at Tawny's house, and and they found bloody clothes at Ivan's, and and some and some little girl that you just met. And you're gonna take over to the murder scene, and she's gonna make up this flabbergasted. Her name, her name's Sylvia, the mother. 
said that, oh yeah, Amy planted the gun over at Tommy's house. That was just a little hard for us to swallow, you know what I mean? And the girl just came and testified under oath. You know, then, then of course, you know, I took, uh, you know, Tommy and uh, Ivan on vacation with me. And of course, when I go to court, you know, they have all these stories like, I'm some drug lord that's got bodyguards all around me in Jamaica. And we stayed at a resort, you know, that, that I frequent this resort, you know, every year with my wife and my family. And we're like, what are you talking about, man? We went to waterfalls and had cheese sandwiches and went to beaches and, you know, just like, so I was like, God, you know, they got to make up something to help him out, I guess. You know what I mean? I didn't understand what all that, all that story was about. But, you know, it was just another, I figured it was just another one of his flabbergated stories. You know what I mean? You know, Sylvia asked me that two weeks ago, do I, do I think I haven't had the capability of pulling, you know, doing something like this? And my answer was, you know, my original answer was, well, you know, no, you know, however, he was under a lot of duress and, you know, with, I don't know how old you are, man, or what, what you know about people on drugs, but man, you understand, man, that dude had a lot of sleep deprivation, a lot of hallucination, man, in my own personal, my own personal opinion for what it's worth. Do I think looking back on it and once you take into accountability, the drugs that he was on, hallucinations, uh, sleep deprivation, being up for days on days. I think he was bitter to the fact that he, he was in a bad situation financially. I think he was uh, jealous and envious of the success that James had, especially when he, James's business, the mortgage business for him catapulted when it all started with that or Vista Real uh, when Sylvia bought all those loans over. And I think he has some resentment towards that. And I think all that over a couple of two or three years while he's struggling, and I mean struggling, you know? He wasn't making the money that he was used to, not even making the, you know, hell, he wasn't making any money, man. You know, and I, and, and I think all that just, you know, I mean, I had 20 years to think about that. And I was like, man, I think all that just compounded on him. And, you know, he just went over there and just had enough and and, and shot the guy, man or had an argument, I don't know. I, I do know that the pictures that the DA showed or that they showed in the court, you know, they showed James laying in the bed with his boxers on. You know, you have a visitor, no one comes to your house, man. I don't know how you run your house, but no one comes to my house, period. But no one's gonna come to my house into my bedroom. I'm just laying there in my shorts, you know, and get have someone get that close to you unless you, you really, really extra know that person but even then i i've never allowed him that to happen nobody had to know them for me looking at the pictures to me i'm like well how is you're just gonna lay on the bed and say come shoot me that was a little odd to me too when i seen that picture i was like well how would that how would that happen no one's just gonna volunteer going come on so to me it seems like whoever did this they, they knew they knew james and them their james felt comfortable was something because supposedly Amy was in the shower and she was coming out of the shower when she heard the commotion going on. You know what I mean? So where did you hear that? I'm not sure if I heard, I knew that. Well, I don't know if I heard that from the uh, transcript at the, um, what do you call it, the prosecutor's office? Because before they had told me that she was in the shower and that she got killed in the, in the bathroom area. You know what I mean? Okay. And I was like, well, whoever did this, they James knew them. 
comfortable to know to lay back down on the bed. And if I'm laying on my bed, I'm not going to bring somebody back to my bedroom where I'm watching television. You know, I'm going to talk to them right there in the living room area. I'm not going to say, hey, come back to me. On my wife. If my wife is naked in the bathroom or something, I mean, that's, I would never do that. <laughs> you know, I thought that was a little strange. So that just tells me that whoever did it knew him. But that's, yeah. that's just our little, my little theory. Well, um, now, to your knowledge, did James have a safe in the house? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, to your knowledge, did James have a safe in the house? You'll remember in episode six, Sylvia told me this. Carlos is driving back home. We haven't had anything to eat. He says, do you know that um, James kept money in the house? I said, no. Did you know he had a safe that was uh, poured into the slab? I said, no, I don't know anything about that. He says, yeah, he kept. He always kept 35000 cash on him. Now, he's making small talk. The last thing I'd be telling people is that I know he kept money in the house. If James had a safe in the house, he's not going to tell anybody. He was smarter than that. Have a safe in the house? If he did, he, he, James would never tell anybody that, but I couldn't tell you if he did or he did. James is not that type of person to tell you any information like that. Absolutely, period. And mm-hmm. Don't ever let anybody tell you different that you talk to them because if they told you he had a safe, then then they're, they're lying because he would never, ever say anything like that. <laughs> if you know James, he does not put his business out there, brother, like that, huh. period. Both Sylvia and Carlos can agree on that point. So whether Carlos ever told that to Sylvia, I don't know. That's what Sylvia says, but I can't prove that. Now, did you have a key to Ivan's apartment on the keychain on that Mustang? No, I had the transmitter and the key. And the Mustang key? Right. Oh, but there were no other keys on that key, right? No, there's... No, it was just a, a transmitter and, and the car key. Like I said last episode, the key Sylvia testified to seeing on Ivan's key ring was never confirmed to be Ivan's apartment key because they already changed the locks when Sylvia went back over there. There's no way to prove that Anthony had that key. So it's just Ivan's word versus Anthony's word on that. But what about Carlos knowing Amy prior to the murders, as Sylvia and Ivan have suggested? Did you know her before they started dating at all? No, and the funny thing about it is uh, Anthony talked to Sylvia uh, in the last couple of weeks today, you know, asked about a post that he had put up about Ivan or something, and she wanted right. him to take it down or something like that. And, she, you know, uh, Sylvia is just living in la-la land. I mean, she, I mean, of course, if it was my son, 
you're with your son, you know what I mean? You're, you're cutting for them. You know, you want to stand behind your son, but you know, when it comes to something as greatly deal as he did on this situation, it's, it's a, <laughs> a pretty bad deal. You know what I mean? And, um, so, uh, she says, yeah, uh, I've been said that, that, uh, I used to know her from, from baby dolls. I used to, I used to be a manager at baby dolls. I'm like, that's the first I heard of that. You know what I mean? Never seen that girl before in my life, before I even brought her around. Uh, but other than to answer your question, no, I'm, you know, like I said, I only seen her a couple of times and we maybe exchanged a few words. Now, the only other time that I did see her was at the courthouse when the trial was going on. And, uh, but we really didn't get to talk. And that was really the last time I've ever seen her, heard from her. I don't know if she lives in Dallas or where she's at. I couldn't even tell you, man. And in Amy's interview, she also denied knowing Carlos prior to the murders. I checked with baby dolls to find out if they could tell me if Carlos and Amy worked there at the same time. But the manager said their records only go back seven years. So while Ivan and Sylvia are suspicious that Carlos and Amy knew each other prior, I'm not finding any evidence to support that. And although I've worked with genealogists to go up Carlos's family tree to determine if he did have a great uncle that died in Waco around November of 2000, without having a name of that great uncle, we haven't been able to confirm or disprove that through genealogy. So while I haven't been able to verify Carlos or Anthony's alibis for the time of the murders, I also can't disprove them. And I'm not sure if Carlos and Anthony were being completely truthful or not within their interview, but I cannot prove they were being willfully dishonest. So after working on this case for nearly two years, I have not found one piece of hard evidence that tie Carlos or Anthony to having any involvement in the murders or setting up Ivan. Unless I receive or come across additional information that leads me back to them, at this point in my investigation, I have to cross Carlos and Anthony off my list of persons of interest and head in the direction that has more questions that need to be answered before Ivan is put to death. I forgot to tell you, and I'm just now having a flashback on this. James's father asked me to meet him at the house on Gibbons where they found the bodies. And I looked at uh, the spare bedroom that was across from the office. And the bed looked like somebody had slept in it for a month straight. And she said, she asked me if I knew this Frank guy, and I said, no, I don't. He says, well, he's been here a couple of weeks, and he's staying over here. And he comes into the house uh, after the police let everybody in that Saturday night. He's in there, and he starts getting the rent check from the duplex or the houses that James had. He had a couple of rent houses in Oak Cliff, and he's getting these rent checks. And he's telling Gladys that he'll deposit these for the for the business that he's taken over James's business. When Gladys heard him say that, she doesn't know him from, from anything. She says, who in the hell are you? And then she told him, get the fuck out of here. Get out. She threw him out of the house. So did you hear about any roommate 
that James had? No. His wife. Other than his wife, um, no. Did you know that if uh, James or Amy had any roommates? If James or Amy had any roommates, no, no, no. James is not the person to have anybody really live in his house, as far as I know. He's just that type of guy, you know what I mean? There was this guy, um, and I think that he might have worked with you um, at the mortgage company by the name of Frank Perez. Does that name sound familiar? No. Frank Perez? No, 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 Frank, no Frank Perez. Yeah, because it's interesting that uh, at least Frank Perez, I haven't talked to him yet, but he says he was living there about three weeks right before the murders. Really? You'll also remember Amy Head was good friends with Amy Kitchen, so I asked Amy Head. Did you know anything about, I guess, a roommate that James and Amy had prior to the the murders? Who's the roommate? They didn't ever have a roommate. So who is the uh, roommate? The roommate was uh, a Mr. Frank Perez. Hmm. Um, that's news to me. I've never known anybody to live with James and Amy. I would think I would have known. I know uh, what I, one thing I did know about James and Amy, they were very private people and only a certain amount of people were allowed at their residence. That's what uh, I can, I know 100%. So, what was the deal with this mysterious roommate? Well, you'd have to figure he had a key to James and Amy Kitchen's house. James is a tough, bad motherfucker. There had to be a lot of people there. You want me to tell you why? Because James is not going to hold still. It was kind of a struggle. Forced entry. No, forced entry. I don't really know that much about how much money you could get from a burlap bag of marijuana, but there were multiple bags of that. When they searched James's house, who got that out of the house? Like, where did that go? Frank Perez also had a key to James' office. Someone had been in there going through things because papers were all over the floor, doors were pulled out, files were thrown around. You know, it was just disheveled. You'll also remember there was a witness named Anna with Mark Kitchen, Amy Kitchen's brother. They were both in the house the day the bodies were found. Mark Kitchen called the police because of what Anna told him. This is from that report. Mr. Kitchen stated that he was talking to Anna and that she told him that she thought that Mr. Perez was acting very strange and suspicious. Mr. Kitchen stated that she told him that while she was at the location, Mr. Perez was using his sweater to open a door and turn the lights on, as if he didn't want to leave his fingerprints on anything. Additionally, she told him that Mr. Perez said they weren't killed last night, they were killed today. Now how would Frank know that? Earlier that day, Frank's alibi was that he was hanging out at a car dealership with his friend Dino. 
but does that check out? But do you recall Man. Frank coming up to see you at all that day? It would have been the day, actually, I think the bodies were found. Uh, no. Uh-uh. I don't. Well, that's interesting. So, and how certain would you would you be of that? I mean, pretty certain? I'd be all, yeah, about 100%. And also, this investigation has to go into Oak Cliff to investigate the anonymous tip that Mario Rojas killed James. And in Oak Cliff, people don't mess around. This witness's voice has been changed for their protection. I know a lot of Mexicans in Oak Cliff. So what do you need to know? Whoever was listening at this pool hall overheard people talking, saying that Mario Rojas uh, or it might have been... Roses. Mario Roses. They were about drugs and money. All of them. Johnny Mojica, Mario Roses. And they worked with Frank Perez. That's who you need to get in touch with. Frank Perez. What? what? Frank Perez. Frank Perez. There is a lot more to investigate before Ivan's execution day. and especially a re-examination of the strongest evidence tying Ivan to this crime, the thumbprint on the magazine of the gun. My name's Marty Ludus. I'm a latent print examiner. I've testified probably uh, 400 times for the prosecution, 15 times for the defense now. Well, so, and just to be clear, are you saying that Dallas PD could not say with certainty that that's Ivan's print? Or are you saying that that is not Ivan's thumbprint on the murder weapon? That's all coming up in the third and final season, next time on Cousins by Blood. If you're a fan of the podcast, please give a five-star rating on iTunes. To find out more about the case and to see pictures, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cousins by Blood Podcast. If you have any information about this case, you can email me at CousinsByBloodPodcast at gmail.com. Ivan's Lawyer, read by David Whitlock. Carlos's trial testimony, read by A.J. Penny. The prosecution, read by Catherine Ganimi Leach. Mixing and mastering by Jody Abbott. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned.